0: space for all. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Billionaire Jeff Bezos reached a lifelong goal of flying in space. His company, Blue Origin, launched its first mission with passengers Tuesday morning from West Texas, ushering in a new era of private space tourism. And earlier this month, another billionaire reached the boundary of space. Richard Branson and his company, Virgin Galactic, took a space plane and passengers to the edge of space and back. An auction netted $28 million for a single seat on one of Blue Origin's flights. Leaders in the space tourism industry touted it as a way to make space for all, but with a high price tag, can only the wealthy fly? We'll dig into the topic of access to space with two guests this week, retired NASA astronaut Nicole Stott and space policy expert and former chief of staff to President Trump's National Space Council, Jared Stout. Will space tourism foster a space for all? That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. Retired NASA astronaut Nicole Stott is one of only a few hundred people to go to space. She's also a frequent guest on this show, sharing her experience of being up there with the rest of us down here. She's also a founding director of the Space for Art Foundation, a recipient of a $1 million grant from Blue Origin to continue its mission of outreach to children in hospitals, refugee centers, and schools from around the world. I spoke with her earlier this week ahead of the Blue Origin flight about this moment in space tourism history and her work sharing the experience of space exploration. Nicole Stott, thanks again for joining us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure to be here, Brendan.
0: So with Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic and Jeff Bezos' uh, Blue Origin, we're in a new era of space tourism, and I'm I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what are you, what's your reaction to seeing this, this new era of, of people leaving the planet?
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I know on the radio, you can't see my face, but I'm smiling big. I mean, I'm really, I'm really excited about this, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, but, you know, certainly for those people that are getting to experience this and that I think, you know, these are steps that are just going to continue to open it up to more and more people to 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 have this experience. I think that's, that's something we need to do, and um, I don't know, both from the the personal experiences that the people are going to have, but from the benefit that's going to come back to Earth because of it as well, uh, I, I think is pretty compelling.
0: And and kind of expand on that. I mean, what are what are the, some of the things that you hope come back from this experience of more and more people getting the opportunity to view the Earth in in a way that only a very limited few people have?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it certainly opens up a new perspective on who and where we all are in this universe together, right? Uh, you know, this, oh my gosh, we live on a planet thing, which is you know, something we all learn when we're in kindergarten, right? And yet we we tend to not keep that in our minds in our day-to-day decisions. Uh, I think there's there's no way to leave an experience like that, seeing the earth from space, even if it's just for a few minutes. Um, without getting that into you in some way that's going to influence the way you um, pursue your life from that point on. Now, it might not be this ginormous thing that happens to you. I I cannot speak for everyone else, but I think it'll be in all of them. And I was just speaking to somebody earlier today about this whole idea of awe, which is what I think... (laughs) You know, the, all of these all of these folks are going to be like, "Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I am experiencing awe." And how does that happen? I think that's because something so powerful is influencing you in a way that you want to share it afterwards, right? You don't want to just keep it in your in or to yourself. You want to share the pictures and video, you want to share what it felt like. And I think by doing that, you're positively bringing it back in a way that's going to influence the choices you make in your own life and hopefully help others um, feel it in their lives as well.
0: Mm -hmm. We know that through Virgin Galactic, they've reported some 600 folks have made reservations. and, And with Blue Origin, we know the first seat went for $28 million. We know that this experience, at least at the start, is going to cost tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars per person. Um, you know, severely limiting the amount of people that can enjoy space for all. And it's been criticized that this is kind of just another rich person's, you know, experience. Is that criticism fair?
1: I mean, I, certainly at this point, there it's going to cost a lot of money to be able to do it, right? Uh, I mean, we've already seen through the space station program where um, individuals were able to spend, like that that person that we don't know yet, um, who bid that $28 million on that Blue Origin seat, I mean, people were paying upwards of like forty million dollars to fly to the space station for two weeks. That's prohibitive for you know most of <laughs> most of humanity, right? Um, I'm certainly not able to to fork out that kind of cash to do something like that. But we're already seeing you know that that start to come down. Um, I think it's just the natural evolution of it. Right. I mean, the same thing as I was flying back on a flight from Tucson um, this weekend, I was thinking about the same thing about I'm looking at the numbers of people getting on the airplane with me and thinking, man, it's at one point in time, I would not have been able to do this. I would have not been able to get on a plane and travel from point A to point B, just kind of thinking about that as a part of normal life. And I, I think what's happening uh, what happened, the, you know, last week? What's happening tomorrow is um, is going to bring us just closer and closer to the point where, you know, we'll be we'll be sitting and sharing seats on these spacecraft someday, and thinking about, wow, I mean, imagine those people that just couldn't, didn't have this opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, as as an astronaut yourself, I mean, how do you feel about? many of these other people coming in and and sharing the same title as you that, you know, maybe didn't train as hard as you have and are paying their way to get this experience.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't get all wrapped up in that, that word that way. I think that this is another part of the evolution, right? Um, There's going to be forever. I believe the professional astronauts that are doing I mean, that are doing work in space, that are flying the vehicles, that are um, performing the science and the maintenance and the, you know, the work that happens in that environment. And there are going to be people that are experiencing it for different reasons. Um, if astronaut is the word that's used for for all of those, great. And you know, speaking to as well the the accessibility, already we've seen just in um, in these. And it's going to happen again, I think. But in the Virgin flight, like right off the bat, one of the first announcements uh, when Branson got back is, hey, we're doing this essentially raffle to allow somebody who couldn't otherwise, uh, you know, gain access to space and, and working with a really wonderful organization, Space for Humanity, to make that happen, whose whole motivation is how do we, you know, provide this experience to more and more people. So I think people get it that this is something that, that, you know, we want to open up more.
0: Is that necessary? I mean, like ethically, do you, do you have to make sure that you send, you know, regular people up there too, so that they can get the same experience and, and make sure that it's not this prohibitive thing?
1: Um, I, I don't know if necessary is the word. I think we should feel like we should do it. Um, you know, I kind of look at, I consider myself a regular, a regular person, Right who just, you know, through what I studied or, you know, getting really lucky as far as um, selection to the astronaut office was able to have that experience, right? Um, there's going to be a lot of different pathways to it. And um, one of the things that I think is really important in all this is is the, re- the reality check that not everybody is going to be able to do it, at least in, in the near term, right? So how how do we implore, like, how do we just like, um, look to the people that do have the experience to share it in the most positive way they possibly can. I mean, I feel like, you know, one of my roles in life now is to do that and and in a number of different ways. But I think all of these people that are getting ready to fly, um, I'd like to believe that this is not just a bucket list, you know, check it off, move on, don't think about it ever again. Um, I mean, there's things we experience down here on Earth on a day-to-day basis that are, you know, in some ways equally awesome and wonderful um, that we just need to let them into us and and share them and take action as a result of them.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that. There are going to be quite a few people that are going to have a similar experience that you had in, in viewing the planet from space and a brand new perspective. What advice do you have to these people who are about to experience, as you mentioned, this just awe moment, um, when they cross that boundary.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, I think they already probably are, but like, just open yourself up completely to it. You know, it's, I had very high expectations of what that view out the window was going to be. And I can tell you, and I've done this with you before, Brendan, where, you know, it's like, I thought it was here and yet I can't stretch my arm high enough up to, you know, say what, what it really was like. And, but I think you have to, you have to open yourself to it. You almost have to immerse yourself in, in it in kind of a, a transcendent way. Like, get so, <laughs> you know, caught in it that it's it's becoming part of you. Um, but I think what's 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 really cool is that um, there's been time for these people to, you know, maybe not so much. Well, I would say for Wally too. But uh, y- you know, these people that have signed up, for instance, with with Virgin Galactic. It wasn't a. I bought my ticket two days later. I'm on the I'm on the spacecraft, right? They, I think, have really been considering this whole experience in a much bigger way in their lives now, you know, how they're using the anticipation of it, as well as um, the consideration for when they get back, how do they share it? And um, I would highly recommend that your face is in the window and you're not worrying so much about the flipping and floating as you are the just really sucking in that view. Uh,
0: Blue Origin awarded uh, grants to many nonprofits profits um, that deal with space and, and space communication. Your organization... Uh, received one of those grants. First of all, tell me a little bit about the work that you do, because it is kind of like getting the, you know, communicating the beauty of space, right? Uh, What does it do, and and, and how does this grant help that that mission?
1: Yeah, well, uh, our organization is the Space for Art Foundation, and uh, we like to say that we are uniting a planetary community of children through the awe and wonder of space exploration and the healing power of art. And in the most basic words, I guess, we we have been working with children all over the world, primarily in hospitals and refugee centers and uh, creating um, large-scale art projects with them. You know, for instance, we have a number of art spacesuits where each of the kids' individual piece of art comes together in these beautiful art spacesuits. Our spacesuit company that makes our real suits uh, for for the space, but like the one I got to do, ILC Dover, quilt this artwork together into these suits. A couple of them have actually gotten to fly to and from the space station so the kids get to see their art come together in this place. Um, and they, they think about their futures. They consider their future and beyond the experience they're having in a hospital or a refugee center at that point. I think that's one of the things space does for us. But uh, to what this grant will do for us, um, I think it's really, it's really uh, like life-changing for the organization Um, it will allow us to not only continue to pursue these the work we're doing with the kids all over the world and when i say all over the world i'll just tell you for our latest project we've got at least one piece of art from at least one kid on in every country on the planet so that's very exciting Um, but in addition to that we want to Facilitate scholarships and fellowships to, you know, to young artists who are wanting to look to use their art and creativity in a therapeutic way. And we also want to participate in the research that goes on with how do things like art and music, how are they really a helpful, you know, the, the results that you can get from from that. And not just in a hospital or refugee center, but I believe for astronauts flying further and further in space, um, we're going to need to do some of the same kinds of things. And um, we're going to pretend like we don't have the money, (laughs) but know that it's I mean, I mean, really and truly that I think is going to be our way about it is how do we put this money in a place that allows us, you know, for a much longer time and an expanded way to um, continue this mission of. Of space art and healing.
0: Mm-hmm. And and finally, as we enter the commercial space tourism boom, um, are you optimistic you might get to see that view one more time, or are you firmly planted on the ground?
1: No, I will never, I, I mean, we're all in space, right? So I will take that, but, uh, and looking up is, is pretty wonderful too. If that opportunity opens up to me, I would gladly accept it. I would be hopeful that my family could uh, share it with me. That was the one thing missing on the The last two trips was their little, well, the one big and little face in the window with me. We've
0: been speaking with Nicole Stott. She's a retired NASA astronaut, and she's with the Space for Art Foundation. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. More info on Nicole Stott's outreach efforts at spaceforartfoundation.org. Still to come, how space tourism companies can help all of us down here on Earth. Are We There Yet is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's space station. I'm Brendan Byrne. For now, space tourism is for the ultra-rich, but that doesn't mean the rest of us can't benefit from what's happening in this industry. Jared Stout is a space policy expert. He joins us now to talk about this new era in commercial spaceflight.
2: First of all, for those of us that have been in the space community for a while, um, this is a, a, a huge milestone for us because we've been waiting for it for decades. Um, which is, uh, you know, probably, probably for us, it, it means a lot more in that sense that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and we're finally here. Um, I think for the, the larger public in general, um, it, it's a turning point perhaps in the way that we see ourselves and our relationship to, uh, the world around us that isn't necessarily earthbound. Um, and that I think requires a bit of imagination that we haven't drawn on in a while. Um, we still, I think a lot of people still associate space travel with, you know, hardcore test pilots and, you know, that sort of the shuttle era where only the best of the best of the best of the best uh, were the ones that got to fly into space. Um, And I think what this uh, what this Virgin Galactic flight showed a lot of people um, was that space uh, can be accessible to a lot more uh, than just a select few. It can be accessible uh, for more than just uh, the type of um, uh, what we think of as sort of the billionaire joyride thing. Um, I've been talking a lot publicly about Suresha Bandla um, and her flight to um, uh, to space on the the Virgin Galactic flight because I think uh, it's sort of the quintessential American story. She's um, from her family is from India. Her parents still live in India. Um, she is uh, now an executive in a space company, a woman of color, an engineer. Um, just an all around rock star and, and really in, in many ways, she is so many people. Uh, you know, she really represents a, a large portion of the population that I think we're just now really discovering, um, uh, the potential of their involvement in all of this and rediscovering so much that, people of color, and, and particularly women of color, have uh, invested in our space uh, community. So um, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a real turning point for the way people connect themselves to space.
0: Mm-hmm. But still, looking at it as an outsider and someone who hasn't been involved in the industry and doesn't know those stories, it's still Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, two billionaire white guys that are flying on these missions. I mean, how do you change that perception of what this is? How, how can we communicate that, you know, this is, this is bigger than those two?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to focus on the, the billionaires because they're the flashy objects, but um, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of science and exploration going on right now um, in space. Uh, that has nothing to do with with them as people. I mean you certainly you can't ignore the fact that that they're they're billionaires and they have all this money that they can do this thing um, but they're they're gonna fly one time and and in the case of Richard Branson, he flew one time uh, and then the rest of the time, it's all gonna be you know people that either uh, paid for a flight or scientists and engineers that are doing their own Um, that are doing their own experimentation, that are doing science exploration and science inquiry. Um, The uh, Congress, uh, the House Appropriations uh, Committee just endorsed the creation of a new suborbital crew program uh, office at NASA, whose sole purpose it's going to be to encourage scientific inquiry uh, using suborbital flights. Those things, the broader access to space, the more scientific inquiry that we have going on in microgravity, the quicker we're going to be able to come to a lot of these discoveries. Um, and that has very real ramifications for people on the ground. Um, I like to use the example of NASA's program for, um, they, they have a couple of companies that are working on three uh, bioprinting, right? So they're learning how to do 3D printing of uh, organs or blood vessels, like that sort of stuff. That's all happening in microgravity. Um, and if we can figure out ways to uh, utilize suborbital uh, spacecraft uh, like VG or, or Blue Origin um, for those types of developments, um, that has a direct uh, application to those of us on the ground that could really benefit from that technology.
0: Is the kind of the model going forward that, you know, these tourist tickets are Hundreds of thousands of dollars estimated when it you know when it becomes more regular um, is that going to feed into the business plans of Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin to allow them to fly more of these scientific payloads for academics and. You know, research agencies. Is that kind of the, the plan moving forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's also it's it's a little bit more than that, too, because so so the NASA portion of it, of course, is important. NASA is going to be doing grants and, and uh, is going to be uh, funding research on these on these vehicles. Um, But also, uh, you know, we've been talking for a few years now about having a national microgravity research program, uh, something that is coordinated across federal agencies that can include the CDC and the NIH and the NSF and um, lots of science organizations. And and almost every federal agency has an office of science where they're doing some sort of uh, scientific inquiry. Um, And I think if we uh, continue to think broader that space is not just for or about NASA, um, that uh, scientists can learn all sorts of things in microgravity that they can't do on Earth um, and broaden that aperture, um, I think that that investment by the federal government, I think, would would go a really long way towards uh, long term sustainability of a lot of these programs. Um but outside of that, uh, and, and we've seen this in other economies of scale with space, um the uh the more people that are buying uh you know either seats or uh space for payloads or that sort of thing, um the price drops. And and you know, SpaceX has demonstrated that with uh, launch capability. Um uh, ULA has demonstrated that with launch capability, that the more that you're, the more that you're flying, the more sort of diversified your portfolio of payloads are, um, the uh, the cheaper the prices are going to be. Um, and I think as that continues to happen, um, it will again. I think it'll be paradigm shifting. I think there'll be a lot more people that are going to be going to space, um, or payloads that are going to be going to space that that uh, get a lot more access. Um, you know, I, I think it was, uh, I think I saw Greg Autry, uh, the other day in a, um, in an interview at CNN and he, you know, he was talking about how, you know, his first DVD player was like $4,000 or something. Um, and today we, you know, if you can find a DVD player, that's more expensive than a hundred bucks, uh, that, that would be impressive. So I think that, that also, uh, is, you know, that same, Principle, I think, can be applied to space activity.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned having this um, this widespread agency to you know invest in microgravity research that would have all sorts of implications for us down here on Earth. You know, specifically medical research and, and some other things. But do you foresee that there is an appetite for that right now? I mean, what would it take to have uh, you know an, an all encompassing agency like that? to utilize and leverage what we're having or what we have now with with suborbital flights? Is it possible?
2: Yeah, I don't think we want a new federal agency. I think what we want is just a national policy that's coordinated. Uh, And so I think, um, you know, when I was at the National Space Council, we started working on something like that, where you would have a national microgravity strategy um, that, that would... Uh, require a certain percentage of research dollars to be devoted to microgravity research. Um, That was sort of the idea behind it. Um, And, uh, you know, frankly, there was so many things going on at the time I was at the National Space Council that was just one of those. It's. It's. I've said in previous interviews, it was like one of my great regrets of my time at the Space Council as I didn't finish that policy. Um, so I, I think really all, all it takes is the National Space Council putting together a policy and then doing a coordinated budget request and saying like, all right, all of these federal agencies are going to request a certain percentage of their budget can be utilized for microgravity. Um, or even even from, from a policy perspective, if, if we could just get agencies themselves to have a policy that they will allow dollars to be spent in microgravity research. Um, so that, uh, principal investigators and scientists and engineers can propose to those programs utilizing the microgravity environment. That would be a huge step forward too.
0: hmm And I'm sure folks are still going to be critical about, you know, seeing these, you know, these high profile billionaire launches Um, to kind of put those folks at ease, I mean, what's something that we can expect in the coming two, three, four, five years from these suborbital programs that could help improve our lives down here on Earth? Because I don't think you and I have the money to (laughs) book one of these tickets yet, do
2: we? (laughs) Certainly not. Certainly not. Uh, so, um, I will caveat this by saying that it's, it's, with anything, with any scientific inquiry, it's hard to know, right? Like, I, I... So much of what we discover in science investigation is by accident. Right? Like we have, we have no idea what we're going to learn uh, when we embark on some of these things, um, and and that's also very true for NASA science exploration. Right, like we learn things all the time from Hubble, um, from our Mars missions that we just had no idea uh, that that what we were going to find. Um, So, I think uh, plant research and agro-science research is probably one area where we're going to see a lot of development. Um, I think another area where we'll see a lot of development is sort of biopharmacological stuff, um, where you're able to rapidly test um, uh, the effects of of, uh, particular chemicals or drugs on uh, biological systems. Um, I think that stuff is also uh, very promising. And we've actually already done a lot of research on that for the space station.
0: That was Jared Stout, a space policy expert and former chief of staff, National Space Council. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed and never miss an episode. Subscribe on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our intern is Randy Vuxta. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. And until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.